Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Under cold Midwest skies. Something lurks through the dark. From the rolling hills to the flatlands. They move through the fields. They are cryptids of the corn. I'm Justin. And I'm Jay. And we are your guides. We're going to peel back the corn stalks and show you what's on the other side. Jay's laughing. All right. So today's episode is extremely opinionated by me. Um, Jay had no idea what we were doing today coming in. Yep. Which is fine. I didn't tell him. Um, so we're going to talk about Bigfoot migration, general migration terms, because there's kind of a lot of misconception about what migration really means. When people hear the word migration... They think of super long distance migration, and that's not exactly what he's smiling about. What you said earlier when we were oh, talking about... Oh, don't, don't. Anyways, uh, super long migration. Uh, like when we see... Uh, not many North American mammals do that anymore, but during the last ice age, mammoths did that, you know. Yeah. A lot of our stuff did that. But there's a lot more than long distance migration, and we're going to talk about that. Um, it's been a long time since I've used PowerPoint. So I actually have a PowerPoint, and I may bring this up at some of the conferences. Oh, that's all the news. Oh, yeah. uh, Front of house stuff. Yeah, I skip right over it real quick. We're professionals. <laughs> now, um, we're so far we're signed up. The Ohio Bigfoot Conference, the Hocking Hills Bigfoot Conference. I got that last night. I got that confirmation email. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so Jay doesn't even know about that. Yeah, that's news uh, to me. The Michigan Bigfoot Conference and Bigfoot and Brews. So that's what's what, that? It's like a Bigfoot conference. Okay. That uh, the uncomfortable he puts it on. Okay, is that up in Michigan? Yeah. Okay, okay. So we got two Michigans, two Ohio's, and I might sign us up for a West Virginia one. Oh. We'll see. Don't want to drive too far yet. The foothills of that Appalachia's. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Like, I've kind of split the U.S., Canada, and Alaska into zones when we talk about this. Because this is highly opinionated. Sorry, guys, I have to leave my phone on this episode. Uh, I have some family stuff going on, so I need to be able to get my calls and stuff like that. So you might hear it ding a couple times. Um, what was I saying? Oh, Ohio kind of falls into a bunch of different categories. The Midwest, uh, it's not quite, when we start talking about the North, it's not quite the North. And it's Appalachia, but not quite the Appalachians. So it's kind of... It's right on the edge. It's a weird zone. Yeah. And we're going to, so I'll, let me move up a slide. So we're going to talk about types of migration. And these are specific types I've selected in aspect to 
uh, to Bigfoot, to Sasquatch. In the U.S., as a seasonal migration, most of the time, that's uh, what we consider long-distance migrations, but it's not always. Um, a lot of these, you'll see when we get into the cutting this up, a lot of these migration types are mixes. Not An animal doesn't have to use one migration type, and it doesn't have to fully fill out one migration type. So just because it's seasonal doesn't mean it has to walk 600 miles a year, like what we think. Right. I always thought, when I think of migration, I think of uh, traveling to get out of the weather. See, and weather is sometimes a big factor. Mm-hmm. Food's another. Breeding, rearing young. But we, oh, okay. that's, yeah. a, that's a whole slide later on. We'll I, get into yeah. that. But yeah, there's a lot of factors for migration. Competition's a big one. Just getting Things out just, of the yeah. Getting out of the way of something. And it's not even competition with your own species sometimes. Sometimes it's just... Excuse me. Food chain competition. Yeah. yeah. Mountain lions will often move out of areas with heavy wolf activity. Mm-hmm. And if not because they fight a lot, most of the time they don't ever see each other. It's the mountain lion is smart enough to know that when the wolf packs are in, it's going to be harder to hunt. Yep. And I'd rather go to an area where it's going to be a little easier. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it'd probably fight another mountain lion for its territory... But it's not going to mess around with another predator. It just predators are mostly mostly very intelligent animals. They don't fight when they don't have to. There's no point to it because an injury's an injury's death. Right. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, nomadic migration. So this one's kind of broke down into multiple short stays through the year, and they're often returning to the same spots. Mm-hmm. So. It may kind of be seasonal. It may be food-oriented. It may be food exhaustion. So this family unit stays in this area for two months out of the year, maybe. They may stay longer. They may stay shorter. They'll stay until they exhaust the resources in that area. But they already have kind of predetermined spots they're going to move. Go to next, yeah. A good example of this, oh, I guess uh, seasonal migration, a good example of that one long distance would be uh, we don't really have anything anymore, but buffalo, uh, mastodons, mammoths used to do that, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a good nomadic one is box turtles. Uh-huh. Uh, box turtles will actually spend, they have, and they do it every year, it's so crazy. They have little areas they'll hang out in, and then move on, and then the area, and move on. So that's why they say it's really important you don't move them around, because literally they have... These areas pre-established. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, it takes them years to develop these patterns. Mm. And then they'll stick to it the rest of their life. And if you move them, it's like... Yeah, it's like, they're not very fast, so... A whole new world. But, uh, so yeah, multiple short stays. You'll see, that's probably the most common one. Nomadacy is a form of migration. Which, I mean, humans used to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And some groups still do that. Um... I'm trying to think. See, I didn't think nomadic was migration. A lot of people don't. It is a type of migration. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's friggin' smiling at me. Anyways, yeah, it is a type of migration. It is moving an area to follow resources. It's not a seasonal migration. It's not moving because of the seasons. Right. Uh, You know, they probably don't care. It's just resource-driven. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's resource-driven. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, snow line migration. You can see I have a little mark there. This bothered me so much. There's a word for it. And I had all my biology books from college. And I know it's in one of them. 
and I was tearing through them, and I couldn't find the word. I couldn't find it on Google, and it's making me mad. Snow line migration. So a lot of these mountain range animals will literally migrate with the snow line mm. every year. Yeah. So it's kind of seasonal, but it's it's not long distance. A lot of times they're not leaving, you know, four or five miles from their summer or whatever habitat. Mm. But they're going up. You know, they may go up 1,500 feet, 1,600 feet. Yeah. Or, you know, 4,000 feet. Uh, elk are a good example of this. Elk do this every year in most of the mountain range habitats. They follow the snow line. They go down to the bottom of the valley when it's, you know, when the snow comes all the way down, they follow all the way back up. And the reason is food availability. Is our elk much bigger than deer? Like around here? Yeah. They are a lot bigger? Yeah. Or, okay. You don't remember the elk at the house? You've never seen the elk? I've never seen an elk. Oh, we got one at the house hanging out. Oh, okay. I'll have to check that out. Uh, so a big deer in Ohio is like 200 pounds. Yeah. A small elk's like 800. Oh my gosh. Well, way bigger. Yeah. Okay. Cool. They're cows. They're roughly cow sized. Interesting to know. They're tall and kind of lanky looking. Yeah. Like deer are, but they're roughly small cow weight. Gotcha. Okay. Moose are big cow weight. You're right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, snow lane migration, elk do that. Uh, home range. This is kind of similar to nomadic, but it's typically a smaller range and it's more regularly passed through. Mm, okay. Uh, so this isn't a type of migration necessarily. This is kind of... I'm kind of trying to explain the difference between home range and nomadicy. Okay, gotcha. Um, like uh, bobcats, mountain lions, you know, they have a big home range, but they're constantly walking through that home range. White-tailed deer are another one. Kind of like uh, in The Lion King when uh, Simba's at the thing with his dad. Yeah, that's their home range. Yeah. Everything the light touches. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what that is, home range. Uh, I guess that's that's... Just trying to split, because I... It's hard to explain it with nomadicy, because it kind of sounds like nomadicy. Yeah. But they're passing through it much regularly. It's... They're using all those resources at any given time. It's uh, almost like like this... Like you live in a small town. Yeah. yeah. That's your home range. Uh, and I have a little note. Many populations heavily mix these. Okay. And a lot of times, it's heavily individualized. You may not have an indiv- And this is all speculation from the reports and evidence we have uh i want to make that very clear before i get wrong on something this is just a biological take using some basic biological terms trying to put it to an animal that we both believe exists i've seen this animal so we're just i'm just trying to make some biological sense out of this Mm -hmm. to explain uh but just because i have this bigfoot in a zone because i have zones we're going to break down later and doesn't mean that every Bigfoot in that zone does the exact same thing. Right. Quite the opposite. We're just going off of stories, averages, what it looks like. Any questions so far? No, this is pretty straightforward. Okay. Um, but I didn't... I mean, I'm learning here. Didn't know some of this stuff. Like, I... Specifically, I didn't I'm going to get you trained up for these Bigfoot conferences. Yeah, you do. Because you definitely do. Because <laughs> who knows what I'm going to be talking about. And Jason, like, that doesn't matter. Right around in a freaking ball of light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're not, not saying they don't. Nobody knows anything for sure. They're migrating. My to take on it, and that could be my take on it. It's always been biological. Uh, they always say the woo. Yeah, I don't subscribe to that theory a lot myself. Doesn't make it any less Plausible. reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Just not what my personal thoughts are. 
but we don't have one. There's nobody, there's not one. In a, we don't know. There's no Bigfoot expert. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would keep saying. But maybe one day you'll have to update this PowerPoint to include um, dimensional migration, dimensional shifting, migration theory, orb theory. <laughs> yeah, um, continental U.S. zones of Bigfoot <laughs> populations. So zone one is uh, Pacific Northwest, Alaska, and Western Canada. So kind of whole strip. Yeah. And we'll go into these habitat types and stuff like that. So I kind of broke it down. It's called a biome. It's a certain habitat type dominates this region. Okay. Does it mean the whole region's this habitat? It means, let's say, you know, over 50% of this region is this type of habitat. Gotcha. Or these mixes of habitats. That's called a biome. Uh, the Midwest U.S. Which is where we are. Yep. New England and Eastern Canada. Uh, northern, or, this is a weird one to say, Northern South, and what we mean by that is Appalachia. Because mm. when you say the South, Pennsylvania, West Virginia are counted in the South. Which is weird. But they're way up here. So I have it broken down as Appalachian and the Deep South, which is what you think of, you know. The Deep South. Yeah. Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, you know, some parts of Texas. Texas kind of gets split into several of these. In hell. In what? Hell. Yeah. The Deep South. Yeah. You ever been into a swamp in Louisiana in the summer? No. It is. It is hell. Just the amount of insects. Oh, I can't imagine. It's worse in uh, the UP of Michigan in the summer. Really? They have such a smaller breeding window or living window. Yeah. That they are insane. Like rabid when yeah. they're there? They'll carry you off. And the desert <laughs> regions of the U.S. the last one. Any questions about how that's broken down? No, nah, it's pretty straightforward. And like when, like for example, when you get into the desert region... There's a lot of it that's not desert. Gotcha. Okay. That is probably, uh, I have a, I'll say it in the PowerPoint later too. That is my least strong suit with this PowerPoint so far. The desert? Yeah, because it's, the region it's broken up to probably could be broken up even more. So it's a diverse biome? It, it has multiple biomes and it's kind of hard to point a finger and say this is what data shows. And this is just the data I've researched. It doesn't mean, I, I guess how to try to say it. This is very fluid. It's not a definitive yeah. take. This is very fluid. This is just trying to help put some biological terms to some of the sightings we have and stuff like that for certain regions. Justin's guide rails to Bigfoot migration. There you go. So we're going to talk about... Doesn't this PowerPoint look super nice? It does. It looks professional. Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, Pacific Northwest, Western Alaska. or It's supposed to say Western Canada and Alaska. Um... This region includes uh, California, Washington, Oregon, Western Canada, and Alaska. The most of this habitat is temperate rainforest. Mm -hmm. So we have super high rainfall. Uh, there's multiple mountain ranges in this area and heavy brushland. Mm -hmm. So brushland is the stuff that's not quite rainforest, but it's in between most of the mountain ranges. It's your low scrubby stuff. Uh, it dominates a lot of this. There's not a lot of this specific region. There's not a lot of grassland. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of brushland. It's scrubland. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone at home. Anyone that's been in it or knows, knows what yeah. you're talking You'll about. You'll know. It's, yeah. It sucks to walk through. Exactly. You can't run through it. Uh, okay. So this is like heavy rainforest. Um, super biodiverse. But not our most biodiverse region in the U.S. by far. This ain't the the West ain't that's mm -hmm. hmm, interesting. Not even close. Is Ohio probably the most diverse? Ah, no. Oh, okay. 
Ohio is the most biologically studied entity in the world. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. For what reasons? Uh, It's where some of the early, so off topic, some of the early biologists that developed several different fields Mm -hmm. were all born in Ohio. Like uh, Troutman was like the big U.S. fish guy. He Mm -hmm. was born here in Ohio. Interesting. So it's just like, it was a plant guy. I can't think of all their names. It's Yeah. I know the fish guy because I was a fish guy. Um, but yeah, that's why Ohio, it's just because it was their backyards. These guys that were developing these sciences. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's why. Hmm. But it is the single most biologically studied entity in the entire world. That's pretty awesome. And we still find new stuff. Ohio's there to surprise you every day. Mm-hmm. Stories and evidence of uh, these populations... All right, so from what we have, it's believed to mostly be snow line and home range migrations. So they kind of overlap. They'll, let's, you know, their home range may be this whole valley. Yeah. But during this part of the year, they're in the lower section of the valley, and they move up as food becomes available, mm-hmm. uh, which just makes sense. That is a type of migration. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't recognize that if you don't do somebody's biological, you know, biological studies and stuff like that. Yeah. It's hard to look at that as a migration, but it is. It's following a resource. Mm-hmm. They're moving up when more food becomes available up the mountainside. Just like a small migration. Yeah. But it's, still... it's just, that's all it is. Yeah. It's food driven, most likely, mm-hmm. as far as we can tell. Any questions about this one? No, it's pretty cool. And well, I'm going to hammer this out a little better and then I'll put the PowerPoint online for everybody. So you'll be able, everybody at home will be able to see the pictures and everything. All right, home sweet home, the Midwest. And Ohio's like Texas. It gets pushed and shoved a little bit into some of these categories um, because of biomes. Yeah. Um, but most of the Midwest is farmlands with exceptions to way north and way south. Uh, you know, we have Wisconsin, the UP of Michigan, Minnesota, North Dakota. Yeah. You know, these still are wildly farmlands, but you have some big forest. And big lake areas. Mm-hmm. And and same with southern Ohio, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana. You have forest, mm-hmm. uh, but the major biome is farmland. Um, evidence of sightings for this area, for most of the part, it's believed this is heavenly. This is your area that... This is seasonal migration. Yeah. We have, especially Ohio, we know we've talked about this, sighting spike. It seems, as far as we can tell with the data we have, it seems that sightings really spike in the early spring and late fall, which suggests that they're not, they're always here, but they're heavily moving those times of year. Seasonal. Yeah. There's something, and it could, it might not be the weather that's driving it. It could be breeding. It could be going to safer locations just to, you know, to raise young. Not true. Uh, it doesn't have to be weather-driven. I don't believe these creatures are very shaken by the weather. Yeah, it didn't seem like they would be. But it could be food-driven. You know, it could be easier to go south for, you know, a lighter winter is more food. Right, exactly, yeah. They're not moving because they're cold. They might be moving because, you know... It's good game yeah, or something. Stuff like that. The good berries they like. And it seems uh, most of this population uh, will spend their summers in the northern parts of this region... So, you know, Michigan has a lot of summer sightings. Wisconsin has got a lot of summer and early fall sightings. Uh, and then uh, they'll spend their winters in the southern part of this region, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. You know, that's when most of these these 
line of sightings happen mm -hmm. is when they're moving through. It seems. Yeah. From what evidence is presented. Um, and the southern part has a lot of sightings in the winter. Ohio. Uh, Hawking, Wayne National, has a lot of winter sightings. Mm -hmm. uh, into early spring. And a lot of the aggressive sightings Hawking has had has been in, like, April, May. So that uh, okay. could be... That that's the time they're maybe getting ready to move with the young. Yeah. And, you know, these animals are not very aggressive normally. It's it's very rare to see true aggression mm -hmm. from these things. And But that's one area. It's so weird. That's one area they do. A lot of fake charges. Heavy rock throws. You're seeing stuff that's... Uh, a little extra for them, you know. It's it's not something you'd normally see. So that's this region. Any the, questions? The good old mid Midwest. I, I I wonder what how high is Minnesota on the list of uh, sightings and stuff? Do you know? Not off the top of my head, I do not. But uh, I know they have a lot of dogmen, and same with Wisconsin. Interesting. In, in Michigan. I mean, I've been up in Minnesota, like northern Minnesota. That's what made me think of it, saying like the northern states and stuff. But like. It's so remote up there, and there's just so many lakes and trees. And that's and... another thing that this probably, this thing is lacking. Yeah. Is these regions that are remote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's less sightings. Right. There's less just, people. There's no one there. So is it because they're not there that time of the year? Or is it because people aren't there that right. time of the year? And I can imagine just stepping off in the woods somewhere up there. You'd, you'd just be lost. You'd mm -hmm. be, there's nothing, and it just goes on and on. Anybody, that's one thing. Anybody that says there's no place for these things to exist. I will take you out to Wayne National, and I will point you in a direction. You know there's a road here. You know there's a road to the other side. Walk to the other road. Yeah. And just see how many, how much room there is. Right, yeah. I mean, we did a walk just to Nick's house from Cantwell Cliffs, and that's a half mile. Yeah. And, it was... and there was creeks, rivers, holes, caves, hides, you know. Yep. All over. Nothing you'd see from the road. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, and so that is one thing that this kind of of study would fall short on is it's not taking into account seasonal variations of human populations in these areas. Mm -hmm. That's you know, true. Are hunters are, are more Bigfoot being seen in the Midwest because that's when hunters are in the woods. Mm -hmm. You know, I I haven't looked at that that heavily. That could be a, you know an example. Early Cor spring, late fall. A correlation. Turkey season, deer season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it because just we're out? You know, and it's just the likelihood of an encounter goes up. And that could be... So, like I said, this is all up, you know... In theory. Uh, yeah, this is all in the air. But this is just trying to put some more biological data on these things. And just like any good biologist, I will change my opinions with the access to new and more information. Mm -hmm. And that's what you, everybody should do. Knowledge is power. Yeah, your opinions are allowed to change. Because I feel one way, you know, one week, and I read some other stuff, and I'm like, huh, and, you know, it, it's allowed to change your opinion on things. That's called growth. Yeah. And I don't, there are some people in this community that will die on their hills. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I will not. Yeah. I have my beliefs, and everybody else has their beliefs, and you should. You should have differences of opinion, and you should talk about them. I will never argue with anybody. I'll talk about this all day with somebody that doesn't believe in this, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And we'll be the ones where everybody's respectful. Everybody, you don't. Ha nobody has to believe this. This is just, I don't know. It's just thought, like, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people, especially more so nowadays, don't even entertain the idea of discussing an idea that 
they can't fathom to be real or it doesn't exist yeah. in their reality. Like, nope, it's not even a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, well, like we already talked about with the orbs and stuff. That's not something... I know they exist. I don't think they're Sasquatch. But it's so odd how often they co-occur. Mm-hmm. And UFOs. And, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they're just as interested. Right, yeah. Like, oh, well, these things are weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on from the Midwest. All right, next. New England and Eastern Canada. This range is... Uh, it may not be what you think. A lot of people hear the New England and they think of the big cities. Right, yeah. And that is such a small part of this part of the country. I mean, it's literally just this little this little coastline. Yeah, just yeah, basically just the coastline. Mm-hmm. And then once you get off, it is forest. It mm-hmm. is mountain range. Uh, this is considered a large temperate forest region. Um, with There are several mountain ranges in there. There are no big mountain ranges, but there are several mountain ranges. When I say big, I mean... Like... Rockies. Rocky Mountain Big, yeah. yeah. No, not over here. But there are mountains. There are mountain ranges. Um, it uh, has extremely dense forest, super high city populations, and farmland. So this is kind of a mix uh, when we look at this. But oh, I guess this includes Maine, New York, uh, most of New England, eastern Canada. Um, we have like a lot of moose in this area, uh, bear. I'm not sure... I know there's a lot of black bear. I'm not sure about the grizzly population. Mm. I know it's somewhere close to this area. Yeah. I don't know how much overlap there is. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So yeah. let's see. Waterfalls. Major bodies of water. A lot of water. Uh, rivers and that stuff. Um, mostly sightings, records uh, in this area. We believe that the Bigfoot population seems to move with a mix of nomadic and seasonal migrations. Uh, but these areas are such extreme uh, differences in habitats, it's hard to nail down one. Because hmm. this is a big area. So when you look at some of these Bigfoot, they're probably living in the mountain ranges. Right. They're probably snowline migrators. With you know, home range snowline migrator. But when you look at uh, some of these giant forest guys, they're probably nomadic migrators. You know, hanging out in this, this area for a while. Because you'll have spikes in this area. Not just, uh, yeah, nothing can see. You'll see a bunch of spikes in this area, and then they'll disappear. And then maybe, it may not be the same time every year, mm-hmm. so that's kind of where it's not seasonal. That's more nomadic. Yeah. But when they're there, they're there. And then when they're not there, you know, sightings kind of die off. Yeah, nothing. So that's that's how we look at that. Any questions about this or any comments, concerns, um, liabilities? I, I might actually go to a state park in... Uh, Massachusetts, like, uh, uh, what is that state? It's Massachusetts New, is a yeah, state. Yeah, below that, the, the next, not New Jersey, but Massachusetts. So, yeah. Ma- yes. Is that what I said the first time? Yes. Massachusetts is that. Yeah. Connecticut, duh. No. Connecticut, New York. What are you going there for? Um, one of my friends lives there, and the, like in their backyard, they have a uh, state park. Well, why aren't we going? Bigfoot well, out there. That's what I might try to see if I can set something like that up. That'd be interesting. Um, but I've been to the East Coast before, and it's... Yeah, once you get to the coast, coast, yeah, it's all... It's all city. And, yes. But I guess this part is just the, you know... That is not the entire, you know... Oh, it's not. region. Right, New England yeah. region. Well, pulling... Like, driving through it, yeah, you're going to drive through a lot of trees and a lot of farmland uh, I had, farmland I had buddies from New York. Not New York, New York. Mm-hmm. The state. But from New York. 
and they most of the time their snow in their city wouldn't they pile it up and they wouldn't melt till June. Really, that's craziness. And their city was like four hundred people. Yeah. And everybody had snowmobiles for the winter. That, nobody drove a car. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's I mean, they believed in a big. They never seen one, but they're like, yeah, there's so much land up here mm-hmm. where there's no people. Yeah. You're like, uh, there's bear, there's moose. He's like, you can around the corner, there's a moose. And you even hear it. And you know, it's a 2,000 pound, you know, that's a big animal. It's a huge animal. And we don't normally think about that, uh, thing in New England, East mm-hmm. Coast at all. Normally. I, I mean, I guess that's just from my perspective. No, I, I, I think that's most yeah. of the rest of the country when you hear, it's like when you hear California, you don't think of, the forest you don't think of rainforest you think of right. beach and surfing and right horrible cities yeah <laughs> yeah there you go uh you don't think of all of the natural beauties that are in california and how diverse do you ever think from high desert to you talking about like the blondes and the no oh, oh, oh okay you're talking there's about no that. natural beauties over there oh yeah that's plastic that's all plastic that's my bad <laughs> um but yeah Anything else? To add? I don't know. That's good for East Coast mm-hmm. or New England. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same. Well, so we're gonna get into northern, the northern south. The north south. Uh, we're gonna call it Appalachia. Yeah, that's a better. So this kind of gets broken up: uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, and a little bit of Ohio. So Ohio is one of these that gets split. Um, what was I gonna say? This habitat includes the Smoky Mountains rich forest and active farmland uh this is one of the most biodiverse places on the planet interesting the appalachians tennessee and kentucky tennessee itself is one of the most biodiverse locations in the world tennessee is and this smokes most rainforest okay uh with a number of species present oh really Mm -hmm. tennessee has more i think tennessee has more endangered species than a lot of the country combined that are present. Uh, a lot of it's uh, amphibians. A lot of amphibians. A lot of fish. Uh, there are some mammals and smaller mammals and stuff like that. Uh, you know, one off the top of your head or anything? A mammal? I'm just I don't know. Mammal? No, they'd be like voles and stuff like that. Oh, I'm okay, not a big, okay. not a big mammal guy. True, you're the fish guy. But there's a lot of fish. A lot of amphibians. There are amphibians that are only found in Tennessee in the mountain range. That's pretty sweet. A lot of salamanders. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> it's always a salamander. They're frogs. But no, so this is uh, extremely rich. Hmm. Um, studies have been documented pretty regularly, which seems uh, there's no seasonal variance in this region uh, from the most part, uh, with lots of sightings and hot spots, which points to more of a home ranged animal with little moving out of that range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, a lot. Of, this doesn't seem, you know, these seem to be really home bodied animals. Uh, they're always on this mountain, you know. They're always on this valley. You know? Yeah. They're all in. And you hear stories about that, like that all the time, yeah. too. So when we talk about, these are the true, I think these are mostly home range creatures. But a little bit of different, you know, and I'm sure a juvenile male, when it comes to age, they get pushed out like every other animal. Mm-hmm. And they'll go somewhere else. Um, But yeah. Maybe a little mix of home range and a little mix of nomadic. Yeah, that's a little different because they're you know, to, to prevent inbreeding. So when we look uh, at mountain lions, the bobcats, a male, a female bobcat cub will stay right next to her mother's territory most of the time. Mm-hmm. 
uh, after his adulthood. You know, they're pushed out a little bit, but not much. A male bobcat cub, when he gets pushed out, sometimes have been documented going over 600 miles in his first year. Jeez. So you can have, I got a map in front of me, you can have a bobcat from West Virginia getting pushed up to central Ohio. Yeah. Huh. So, and mountain lions do the same thing. Uh, mountain lions and bobcats put a lot of time in their cubs. Yeah. Teaching them how to hunt. Uh, it's not very often seen two mountain lions together. They're a lot more secretive. Not very often to see a mountain lion. Mm-hmm. Bobcats all the time. There's all kinds of, you know, two or three bobcats are sighted. Lucas seen that uh, when he was in Illinois like four or five times. About oh, really? A mom bobcat teaching two cubs how to hunt. That's pretty sweet. And, uh, yeah. So we're comparing them similarly to that. Yeah. Bears a little bit too, you know, not as much education when it comes to bears to their young, but it's more of just a protection until they're big enough. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to assume that they have something similar where probably the females may stay in the same family unit forever. They may stay closer, you know, uh, but males will probably get pushed off. Mm-hmm. And that's just a biological need to prevent inbreeding. When you look at big cats, they don't know, we don't believe they know that that's why they need to be, but they have that built in. Right, it's just... It's just there. It's In their programming. Yeah. Any comments? Um, no, not so much on this one. I mean, we need to get out there more into the Appalachians. It's right in our backyard. Mm, I think, uh, for long-term big footing, if you can go to the same area repeatedly, yeah, Appalachia is your area. You're gonna, those animals, I call them animals, we're animals, uh, just so people at home understand. I, mm-hmm. not, it's not a degrading term. Yeah. That's uh, just a group. You we are, we are animals. Yeah. Um, but no, I think your best results are from animals that learn you, multiple visits and stuff like that, you know, they get, they know that, you know, you're not out there to do anything. I think that's when you get some of these better encounters Mm -hmm. is they're a little more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to walk out and shake your hand. I don't think that's ever going to happen. You have no faith. I think you can have very enriching encounters yeah uh from that kind and i think this is a good area because i think these populations are very steadfast in their locations and it didn't mean a home range isn't 100 square miles Mm -hmm. but it you know they're there they know you're there right yeah before you know they're there for Mm -hmm. sure anything else in this bad boy and nope other than that gray area it looks like a chicken leg like a drumstick. Oh, it does. It's also in ten, or it's in Kentucky, so that's oh, why. Oh, so that, gosh, makes too much sense. So the South, the Deep South, the Deep South, and this is Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Mm. And just a just a little side note before we go into more, uh, these Sasquatch are often in a very bad mood. Okay. And a lot of these sightings seem. They don't seem dangerous, but they seem mad. And if you had all that fur and yeah. hair, if you weighed 800 pounds... In Louisiana? Yeah, I wouldn't be happy either. Um, yeah, I've met Cajuns that sound scary. And they're fine. But, you know, you know a northerner... Ah, you know, they sound like they're screaming at you. You're like, oh gosh. Yeah, what did I do? Um, But yeah, so most of this habitat's uh, wetlands, swamps... 
farmlands, uh, grasslands, and mountain ranges. So, like, the Ozarks that run through this area. Okay. You know, southern Appalachia. Uh, there's smaller mountain ranges through this area. Uh, the majority is between farmland, grassland, swamps, and wetlands. Um, you going to ask me the difference between a swamp and a wetland? Hmm. Yeah, what is the difference? It's a big difference. What is it? It's a difference. Oh. Insightful. Glad I could clear that up for you. Yeah. Uh, no. So a wetland is a, <laughs> like a giant area. Um, there's not a whole lot of difference when you're looking at them, but from a biological standpoint, there is. Uh, swamps are mostly sitting still water. Oh, okay. Um, even though a wetland doesn't look like it's moving. Right. They are. Yeah. And they're more like a filter. Mm-hmm. Swamps can kind of be a little more stagnant. Yep. High, higher algae contents. Wetlands have flow or filtration. And they're normally a lot bigger. Yeah. You don't see, in wetlands, normally, you don't see these giant swaths of water. A swamp's kind of like a lake. Mm-hmm. And a wetland's kind of like a big flat river. Yeah. A swamp's like a big, big shallow lake almost, you can yeah. just say. Yeah. Just sitting there. Uh, there's bayous, oxbow lakes. Can So, bayou moves. Okay. An Oxbow Lake is a broken piece of river that doesn't move anymore. I do know that. And that they is. can turn into swamps. I remember those uh, from. But that's high more school. of a generalist term. That, you know, you could probably, you could interchange swamp and wetland a little bit. Wetland is a little more of a rigid term because they have a purpose. Mm, okay. So a wetland does something, and that's that filtration aspect we we're talking about uh, for watersheds. Interesting. Okay. Uh, swamps, you know, you can, you can call a lot of stuff a swamp. In, you know, the swamp doesn't have a, a purpose behind the term. Mm-hmm. Once again, I only know that because I did wetland work. Yeah. Wetland work sucks. I bet. Because it's just... Oh, and your waders? Yeah, oh my gosh. No, we, uh, I've almost died twice in a wetland. I'm pretty sure. One time, so, a little story. We're doing pretty good on time. So, a little story, kids. When I did electrofishing surveys... This one thing's called a long line. So it's a wand is your positive, your tail is your negative. The current goes to the water, and the fish swim at the positive end. And you net them as they swim. Uh, fish don't get knocked out or nothing like that normally. That's not the goal. The goal is to get them to swim so you can net them. Um, we had one. So the long line's tied to me. So it's like mm. a big extension cord that's attached to me by a belt. Uh, like a lift belt. Yeah. So it's this big, huge, flat belt. And we're walking, 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 and it's a little mucky, but not bad. You can feel a rock bottom. So normally there's a layer of sediment and then a hard pack, whatever the hard pack is. And then I take one step and I'm instantly over my waders and it's muck. And it's not letting go of me. Normally, I, w- I wouldn't panic yet because normally you fall. And that's what I felt like. I felt like I fell. Like, okay, well, the generator will kick off and stuff like that, so I'm not frying myself. Yeah. Uh... But the thing is, I didn't come back up. I'm like, oh, and then that's when I panicked. And the guy who's with me, Zach, he's still there, and he falls in. He's a lot lighter than me. Yeah. He gets out. I am, like, can't see. I am above my breast in this horrid smell. It smells like chemicals. It's not like rotting vegetation. This yeah. is, we were behind certain places. Muck is just pouring into my waders, and I'm getting sucked down. Yeah. And I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm going to die. And 
I'm like laying on my back. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, and I'm just not getting out. And Zach's ripping at the cord, trying to pull me out. He's grabbing the wand, trying to rip me out. Yeah. Eventually, I lay on my back enough. I finally broke suction. Yeah. And then I came out, and I was just like, I was so covered in muck, and I reeked of just chemical, and my boss is like, oh, we clean up, we'll do another site, and I'm like, you, yeah, yeah. I ain't doing another site. We're going back to the hotel. Yeah. That sounds awful. It was awful. Man. That job got rough sometimes. Well, that'd be pretty scary getting sucked. Like It's the suction part that would scare me. Like, uh-oh. Yeah. So that's the difference between a swamp and a wetland. Yeah, wetlands can kill you. They both will eat. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Any questions for this area? Oh, I guess we didn't cover anything. Yeah, we, yeah, we haven't... We, Went on tangents a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, sightings data present in these areas seem to be a mix of seasonal and nomadic Uh It seems to be mostly they are staying in one area for a period and then moving on to the next established area. Like we said, that's kind of nomadic Some of these movements seem to be seasonal. Mm-hmm. Others seem to be food availability. And, off, and uh, others just seem to not want to stay in that same place for that long. So, some of these just seem, from the data uh, I was looking at, that they just move. Yeah. Uh, and that's more of a true minimality. They're not leaving because of a food. There's not more food available in this area versus this area. There's a little bit of that when we look at some types of, you know, vegetation that produces fruit when that's available and stuff like that. So it's a little seasonal, but it's mostly just pure nomadicity. Yeah. Any questions about that? Um, I don't know if I have anything off the top of my head. I just... Like, I, I don't know too many, like, Texas stories or... No, Texas is a hot spot. I guess I just don't know too many of them. I can't imagine. But I just picture, like, I Texas I think Big as... Thicket is in Texas. Mm. That's that's a big thing in the Bigfoot community. Is that, like, a big Bigfoot? No, it's an area. Big Thicket. I think oh. it's a state forest. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's, it's like their salt fork. I think that's in Texas. Oh, gotcha. All right, now I'm on the same page. I don't know. Yeah, I don't got too much um, for this area. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty much just a, a college course for you right now. Yeah. About migration. Desert region regions of the U.S. This is the one I had the most trouble with. I don't know a lot about it. This is the one area I haven't done a lot of previous research in. So this area is kind of up in the air for me, but we'll go through it. Uh, includes New Mexico, California, Colorado, Texas, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, and California. Like I said, Texas kind of gets pushed into Lumped a lot in. of these categories yeah. because Texas is very diverse. And it's, well, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, this habitat is genuinely dominated by forest and high mountain ranges. Um, and parrot, we're going to go over what a paradise location is. Yeah, um, I see that. <laughs> Bigfoot is still seen in these areas, but they are hard to make educated guesses in this area about what kind of movement they're doing. Um, it seems to be extremely large home ranges that center around some sort of paradise area, i.e. water sources, forest, a certain mountain. Uh, But this is not an area I've done heavily, I haven't heavily researched. Yeah. So this is kind of one of mine that are just up in the air. Well, you know, uh, I don't think of a Bigfoot in the desert, really, area. There's seen, like, the Labrador Sandman, that's uh, Monsters Among Us, Derek, he talks about that one. Uh, they have something coming out on the break. He has a documentary coming out here soon. But me and Emily 
we're excited for. I can't think of Labrador Triangle. I'm so bad mm. with names. But yeah, uh, the California Watchers. There's Sasquatch-like entities that stand on top of the original and just watch your paths. Mm. Um, yeah, so there are, and there's, like I said, there's forest in this area. Yeah. It's not just desert. Right, right, right. Uh, I don't think there's any habitat that they don't take advantage of. I think the population is probably lower. And a lot of these Sasquatch that are seen out here are thin. Mm, okay. They're not our big lumbering guys. They're not our... It seems that on our side, they're shorter and stockier. And then when you get over to the Pacific, they're giants. That's when you get your, you know, your, your max size Sasquatch. I really think they max out. Personally, at size, nine foot. I think that's really maybe ten, but I really think that's about as big you're going to get. Um, I've heard these stories of 15 footers, and we talk about it about every episode. I don't think they get that big. Gigantopithecus got that big, so it's not impossible. I bet there's, like, you know, every once in, like, just like human beings, there's some giants. There could be. Like, some of them just break through but big. you're talking, that's a lot, we talk about poundage. Yeah, the a lot. difference per foot of poundage. And the evidence that creature's going to leave is a lot heavier than the evidence an eight-foot creature's going to leave. Right. So... Not saying it's, I guess, that's just, I don't swallow that pill. Doesn't mean it's not well, I wonder, possible. It's just not what I believe. I also wonder, too, if, like, they have availability of, to, like, a, more access to food and stuff, more nutrition. If so, they, that's called undetermined growth rate. Yeah. Uh, it's very extremely, extremely rare in mammals. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and as far as I know, it's pretty much unheard of in mammals. Yeah. Uh, reptiles and fish have it. Uh, amphibians have it. Um... Birds don't have it, as far as I know. Yeah, there's normally exceptions to every rule. Mm-hmm. But undetermined growth rate is mostly a cold-blooded thing. Well, I mean, Because you need it to go the other way. Well, that's what human beings go the other way when they keep on... But we don't get taller. Exactly, the other way. We get more width. Yeah. So, so that f- fat storage... I guess undetermined growth rate is your whole physique... Is growing. Everything around the whole body yeah. itself. When it's food availability. Spine and... And not saying fish can't get fat, because there are fat fish, but it's just because their body physically cannot grow faster than the food they're intaking, so they're yeah. saving that. Our bodies don't, you know, we, we hit our growth plates and stuff like that. We have the tremendous... Limits, yeah. Yeah. Dang biology. I want to be nine foot tall. be pretty sweet i go live in the woods. Jay, I would settle for like 5'10". <laughs> for me or you? For you. Yeah, thanks. I'm six foot and I fluff my hair. I was going to say, I was like, wait, why are you settling for that? Jay is five foot tall. Yep. Anybody at home? Yeah, only when I wear my good my big shoes. How tall actually are you? 5'6". Okay. I'm like, I'm right at 5'10". Okay. So I'm not, a, I'm not a tall man either, but I'm like 400 pounds. Right. <laughs> Yep. Built like an oak barrel. <laughs> All right, any more questions for this area? An oak Comments? barrel. No. <laughs> so we're going to talk about driving forces of migration. Do you like like how this is just a college-level class? <laughs> right, yeah. If anybody can't tell, I've had a lot of experience teaching classes for various subjects. It's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Uh, driving forces of migration, food sources... Breeding and child rearing, habitat uses, uh, predation, and human activities. And this is specifically geared towards 
Sasquatch activity. Okay. Um, so let's talk about food sources. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably... I guess another one I could add on here is weather. Uh, but like I said earlier, I do not believe that's a big driving force. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they can handle... They're in Alaska. They can handle the cold, cold. You know, it's not... I don't think that's the driving force. But that could be on here. Yeah. Um, so food sources, just availability, you know. These are big animals. And I believe, like, most... Most people tend to look at them like big black bears with their diet. You know, a big vegetation-based diet with another big chunk of the diet being small animals. Mm-hmm. Talking frogs, that kind of stuff. And then maybe predation every once in a while of larger game. Mm-hmm. I don't think these things are, you know, wrecking elk every other day. But, uh, Even though you know, I do think... not saying they're not possible. It right, just, they could. I think that this may be uh, like the deer every once in a while. I think they'll scavenge off a of fresh roadkill. I do not think they will. I, I so it's called carrion. Okay. Uh, I do not think they're carrion eaters. Um. Unlike when you talk about you know a lot of dogmen have been seen eating some rough, you know, canids will eat car- carrion. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of primates won't mess with it. Yeah, digestive systems, and we're assuming that Bigfoot is somewhere on the primate family tree. Most people seem to fall with that. Um, breeding and child rearing, so they could another driving force is just meeting individuals outside of your home ranges and stuff for breeding, for genetics. Yeah, and then child rearing, going to safer areas to raise younger children, like uh, a lot. Of, I think that's what hawking forest is. Be. Like a Even though it's high people, area, maybe. Yeah, it's just you know for their first couple months when the baby's real young needs a lot of care. Some training, go. training grounds. Yes, yeah. uh, you know a lot of people habitat usage. Um, they may get more out of an area like in the winter. Uh, you know there may be caves available in an area, or uh, that they you know they use in the winter versus the summer. They don't need them in the summer as much, so they don't hang out there. Yeah. the area may not be as good for other things. That like the summer food availability is not very high, but right, during yeah. the winter, you can get out of the wind. And just because these things can handle the weather, doesn't mean they want to. Right, yeah, yeah. And nobody wants to stand in the wind. I don't care how tough you are. Mastodons are not going to stand in the wind if they don't. Have if they to. don't have to. Yeah, they're perfectly capable to do it. But you know they're going to find a little bit of cover. It gets annoying. Um. So that's habitat usage, uh, predation. I don't think this is a big factor. I think that uh, they may be worried about it a bit with the young, uh, so they may go to safer locations. Um, I mean, I mean, I imagine they're in the top of the food chain. Yeah, I don't think they're not by any means, but I'm mostly talking about younger individuals. Right. Yeah. You Protect, know, yeah. From their foot size, I think a lot of Bigfoot baby tracks that we have are like four inches long, mm-hmm. so if they're like a four or five year old. Yeah. So, mountain lion, that's pretty easy. Even a bobcat. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, you may go to safer locations for those for that short time that they are very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. And then human activities. I think they do avoid some areas sometimes. But that's kind of, you know, I don't know. Just one thing that's kind of up there on the, you know, on the chalkboard. 
they may be doing, you know, they may be moving out of areas when human activities get extremely high. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Any thoughts on any of these? I'm, I think the two main ones probably are going to be the food sources and the human activities. Oh, do you? I, that's what I think so, yeah. I'm food sources in breeding and child rearing. Yeah. I think a lot of their nomadic lifestyles food based. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of maybe bigger migrations are breeding based. Mm, okay. Um, that's when most of these most animals in the world that do migrate are breeding based. based. Yeah. Um, like geese, ducks, and stuff. You know why they fly? So they fly south and they meet all kinds of other geese and ducks from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And that's where they'll pick partners. Yeah. And then they'll fly back, and they always go back to where the females from. Oh, okay. So that's how ducks and geese and stuff have giant mixes of genetics. Pretty efficient. Mm -hmm. It works. It's freaking birds. You can't trust them. You can't trust a bird. Never. Chickens, maybe. Anyways, anything else on these? (laughs) Uh, Nope. And that's it. Uh, Interesting. That's kind of a rough synopsis of Bigfoot migration, definitions, stuff like that. Kind of, you know, just a rough idea of how this stuff works. Right. So if you ever hear, like, anyone talking about, you know, migration or stuff on yeah. TV or any other podcasts and stuff, maybe now you'll at least get an understanding of what they're talking about. Yeah. Or you can spot their mistakes or things like that. Mm-hmm. Migration isn't just these long-distance things. And I think that's the biggest thing that I'm getting at is that people... Assume when they hear migration, you're assuming an animal's going 1,200 miles, mm-hmm. or like the monarch migration, or ducks and geese that you know fly, fly 2,000 miles. Yep. Migration doesn't happen. Tiger salamanders migrate, oh. and they go 12 miles. And, you know, we didn't even touch on the eel migration, I mean, to that one place. Uh, yeah, that's like seven or 8,000 miles yeah. for some of these eels. And that's the most extreme example, probably. It may be more. And for yeah, some of I'm those, sure, yeah, I'm sure. I'm trying to think, 2,500, about five, 6,000 miles for most of them. Which is insane. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. So, yeah. Anything else to add? We have seven minutes before I have to hit stop. Ooh. Um, um, I wonder how, I would like to, it would be cool to get data on like a big, if you actually could just get a tracking device on a Bigfoot. Just see how far some of them do migrate. Oh, that's the other thing. They're large. They can go far fast. What? Elk can do 40 or 50 miles in a day. And I've heard stories of like, yeah, the same thing with Bigfoot doing 40, 50 miles like one way in a day and then making it back that night. Like just... That's long strides, efficient walks. Mm -hmm. That's nothing, you know, that's not big, you know, big numbers. So just because they're going... some of these long ones I had marked mm-hmm. are, you know, four or 500 miles. Yeah. Maybe. I think the, the longest one I actually had marked on my little map was like 350, but that's a week and a half. Yeah. If they're making a lot of stops and hiding. So it's not like it's months. It's not like you walking from northern Michigan, and I'm talking about the UP, I'm talking about the lower peninsula. Yeah. The northern part of that to southern Ohio. Uh, you know, that take you months. Yeah, months. It takes them probably. Two weeks. Yeah. Because they're taking breaks. Yeah. If they wanted to, it could probably be faster. I think they could probably do it in a week. Yeah. If they were... Determined. Yeah, they were moving. All right. Well, I've been Justin. And The I... Swamp Thing England. Oh, the Swamp Thing. What are you picking? Oh, man. 
I'm just I'm just plain old Jay today. All right, you gonna do? I did the last one, I think. Oh, well. I'm pretty sure I did the. Uh, we just did one. Uh, the. Uh, it was that lizard. The... Oh yeah, I'll do the hodag then. Oh, the hodag. Yeah, I'm looking at. I just looked at him. Is that the worm? That's the worm, right? No, that's that green guy. Oh, that's the green guy. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. We'll catch you. I think this is going to be a double upload week. So we'll catch you real soon. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.